Always a good to have Randy back. I mean, wow, it's just not the same without Randy. It's not the same without Randy. So, um, moment of clarity uh, here real quick. Uh, last week, those of you, I know we're tape delayed here for a week because of where we are at the moment, but for those of you who uh, saw, or saw Jeff Hopper's testimony last week, I think many of you know by now, on September 23rd, 6.01 a.m., he went to meet his king. And uh, I got that information two minutes before I was, we were on a Zoom with 50 or 60 guys and I couldn't pull myself together and had to just get off the call. So what a, what a message last week. Uh, and then to know that uh, he just had a few days. We just don't know. I got this this morning that we lost, uh, just heard from Larry uh, Zimmerick that Sue passed last night, uh, last night. So uh, we've lost, I'm going to go into all the names, but Gary Ames and her, I, we just, you know, Sue McCollum. I mean, we just, I, I'm tired of losing people, but we do have, we do have this duality of trying to grieve and mourn and be upset and sad and also <laughs> they're such a profoundly good place. I picked out the worship this morning, and I know our worship uh, sometimes is a, it's obviously different. It's challenging. Uh, we have uh, given where we are and the season in the church, church's life. But these songs, if you notice that first song, I mean valleys and death, but and yet the Lord is the sustainer. So uh, on these next two worship songs especially, and I just want you to understand this in a broader sense, the Church of the Red Door, you know, we've got a lot of na- pictures of nature and different things like that. I mean, it is an opportunity I know it's different, but it's an opportunity to, for you to just try to wash the day, wash all the things that are going on in your mind, focus on the creator of the cosmos, the universe, and listen in. Sometimes we have songs that are easily, we can easily join in and sing, and that's always our hope on the third song. So these next two songs, would you just uh, mourn and celebrate with me the loss of many of our family members over this last year, the last two years, just mourning for this whole COVID world. And all of us have lost somebody to COVID. I have no doubt by now you've lost um, maybe multiple people to this pandemic. Uh, but let's really focus in on these next two songs. Would you and worship together, even if, you know, you just fo- really centralize your focus on the king. All right. So, and then after the second one, I'll come up, and I think I do have a word for you, and um, I hope it'll be inspiring. Isaiah chapter 2 says, In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Lord Jesus, we need your guidance through the Spirit this morning. Lord, we want to be able to walk in your ways, to be taught by your Spirit very specific things that apply not only to our lives, but as the light to the world, as we'll see this morning, to those that surround us in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our place of work. Lord, anybody that we might come across, 
on the road that we travel that even this morning we realize is actually so short. Lord, a day is is a thousand years, and a thousand years seems like one day. Lord, you are not bound by time. We are. So let us live our brief moment on this planet uh, in absolute worship of you, being the light that we're called to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a thrill to be with you here this morning. Uh, We lost another guy this last few weeks, and many of you may not know who he is, and probably for very good reason. uh, He was very off-color in most of his stuff. I didn't actually know that till this week. I had just kind of known him from a distance on a talk show every once in a while. But a guy named Norm MacDonald passed away at age 61 over these last couple of weeks, and So it seems like, again, another guy close to my age, proximity, after having lost Mr. Hopper this last few days, uh, it's been grievous. But you do realize the brevity of life, and Norm tells a joke that he strings out for a long period of time, which he was known for doing. He would take a joke that could be told in about 40 seconds and take about nine or ten minutes to tell it, which was also part of the humor of it. And so me trying to retell a Norm MacDonald joke for today is great risk. So because you love me, I need some some laughter at the end, even if you don't feel so moved. So uh, anyway, Norm was famous for a particular joke he told called the joke called the moth, the moth. And uh, I'm going to retell it cleaned up and ready for the ears of church at the red door. So a, a moth, it was getting towards the end of the day, the sun was setting and and uh, starting, you know, uh, dusk was uh, arriving, and the moth went to the podiatrist. The moth went to the podiatrist, and the moth went into the podiatrist's office as he was closing up. And the podiatrist said, well, moth, what can I do for you? And he said, well, I, I've got to tell you, I think I'm having an existential crisis. I, I no longer think that I'm valued at my job. I mean, I think I'm just taken for granted, and um, Norm Lucinovich, my boss, just uh, doesn't really seem to know I'm there except for when I mess up and then it's, uh, it's always a big blow up and I'm so frustrated I don't really know what to do. The podiatrist was sitting there kind of wondering at all of this and he said, not only that, my wife and I, we're not, we're not doing so great, you know, about the recent cold. It's impacted all of the moth community. It's been really challenging uh, my wife and I feel more and more distant as we go through uh, our days together. And, well, for that matter, our children, I don't know what to do with our kids. Um, we've got two or 3,000 kids. And, uh, you know, and my, my son that I feel so close to is now just off in his room listening to all the music he wants to listen to. He's, he's completely tuned out social media. You know, Doc, the whole reason. And he went on. And finally, the podiatrist turned to the moth. And said, well, Moth, I do feel greatly for you, but I think you need a psychotherapist. You know, I'm a podiatrist. Why have you come to me? And the Moth simply said, well, the light was on. So anyway, that's a, so the, the, uh, thank you for, thank you for your, yes, thank you for your great laughter. I, I, I think Norm tells it probably better than I do, but at least I didn't take nine minutes to tell it. So the light was on. So that's the question this morning. Uh, Are you the light? Is Jesus the light? Were the early Jewish believers the light? Is God the Father the light? God the Son? Who's the light? I mean, what is the light? What what does that entail? 
you know, light, if you think about it, is just a natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. It's actually just electromagnetic radiation that, again, makes it so we can see things. And you say, well, that doesn't help me at all. I think about the physical properties because Jesus used metaphor, and I think there's a lot of things we can learn, and we learned it even last week. The sower went out to sow. We learn a lot about seeds and harvest and And when seeds don't make it to good soil, and again, we're talking about good soil. I'm telling you, my friend Jeff Hopper was good soil. He produced a hundredfold over and over. And in fact, I talked to his wife, Laura, yesterday, and she goes, I I just didn't realize he had so many friends. I said, well, the impact of his life was felt uh, through a lot. We've got, you know, Lynx has close to 8,000 people on the daily devotional, and over time, you just kind of get used to. It's a voice people could trust, and he gave his life to Christ. It was good ground. And Jeff had become, in many ways, light. You know, you may ask the question, is light a wave or a particle? I'm sure many of you were wondering that even as you were driving here to church this morning. <laughs> is light a wave or, you know, this wave-particle duality that they... But, but you know, that is a little bit like Jesus. Is it a wave or is it a particle? Is this, is this the man, uh, Jesus, the man, that's a, obviously he was fully man, and yet he was God in flesh, and is it a wave, is it a particle, is it the man-God duality? Well, it's difficult to understand. It's, uh, it's both, and it can, it's both, and it, but it can be both, and yet, and yet it is. And so there are many things that we could go down and look at the physical properties of light itself and say, yeah, there's some things that carry over that could teach us some pretty profound things about the very nature of Jesus. But let's go to Luke 8. Now remember, this is the summation of the sower went out to sow. And let me tell you, I think what Jesus is getting at here is two two facets of what he's really trying to achieve here. Number one, do you want to be good soil? Well, you better listen. You better be aware. You better have open ears to hear. Uh, That's for sure. Uh, But there's also the issue when we talk about are you the light? Are you going to be the good soil that then takes that light and refracts the light. It, it images God. You know, imaging revolves around light itself. Will you reflect the image of God into a culture that is clearly, clearly hurting? You know, you may be watching even this morning, and you go, you know, I'm hurting. I am really hurting. Maybe you had, uh, maybe even last night, maybe you're just watching on television this morning, and you find yourself in another compromised physical relationship that was increasingly less and less satisfying and you just feel so distant from God or maybe you've even written off the idea of God. Let me just tell you that Jesus' words are light. Listen to what he says in Luke 8 verse 16. Now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. He puts it on a lampstand so that those so that those who come in might see the light. Now, get this. These are words. Do you want to be fruitful? Are we going to be fruitful as a church? Are you going to be fruitful as an individual? Are we going to be fruitful? We cannot hide our light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Light eventually brings the absolute truth of the reality around us. Many people live in darkness. Prophets saw it, out of darkness will come a great light, Isaiah had seen. So take care how you listen. This morning, think about it, or whenever you might be watching this, take care how you listen. 
For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away. There's an increase. If you, if you have ears to hear, I'm telling you, it's going to flood in. It's going to enlighten. Well, John the Baptist, as we'll see in a minute, says it's the light that enlightens every man. Much of the world today suggests that, well, we have the light within us. We just do. Uh, the Swami Sachi Du Nandu, I think I have that pronounced close to properly, who was a Hindu mystic who died in 2002 and also a yoga expert and spiritual teacher. The world, uh, the West, clamors for these guys because they... They tell us things we want to hear, and this is one of them. You are not given the light by anyone, not even a spiritual teacher. You are that light. Now, it almost sounds like something Jesus is saying, but he's not saying it in concert, in partnership with the Spirit of the living God. He just says, even separate from the Creator through Christ, you are the light. An anonymous source says the strongest light is the light that shines within you. Use it to lead the way of your life. Is the light already in us and it's just a matter of locating it and getting through some things? Or is light actually from God transferred into us? These are two radically, radically, radically different concepts. You have to get this. You can't, if you think that man is fundamentally full of light and goodness, and if we can only get through some of the environmental things or the educational things or whatever, if we can just get through some of those things, then we're going we're to be okay. Jesus said he didn't entrust himself to man. Why? Because he knew what was in man. He knew there was darkness. And yet, as we'll see, Jesus begins to call his followers the light. We have to ask the question of John the Baptist. They ask him, you know, who are you? John chapter 1, if you'll remember, uh, referring back to when we started this, uh, this really romp through the gospel of Luke, it wasn't alluded to, but I think I alluded to it once, G uh, John said, there came a man sent from God, John 1, 6, whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He's talking about Jesus. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. So is John not the light? Is he the light? Well, no. He said, John's clearly not the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He who was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him, a.k.a. Jesus. Jesus is the light that's come into the world to enlighten every man and woman. So is it God the Father's the light? Is it Jesus the light? Is it the early believing Jewish community was the light? Is it, who is it? John said he's not the light, but then Jesus seems to say that you are the light. I mean, what is it? How do we really parse this? How do we try to understand the depth of what is being communicated by the word in its totality? Daniel chapter 2, 
Verse 20, clearly the Father is the light. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings, establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men, knowledge to men of understanding all qualities of light, and metaphorically, that we're understanding here. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So the Father is light. Surely the Father, God the Father, is light. Surely. Well, it's easy to see that the prophets had seen there was going to be another light come into the world. I alluded to it a minute ago, Isaiah 9, 1 through 3. Listen, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the two northern tribes, with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious. How? Well, it's going to be up near the Galilee by way of the sea, the other side of the Jordan. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, giving more specificity to where this light would emanate from. This, well, it sounds like a, a container, a man container of light. Someone who grew up by the shores of the Galilee, and he did in Nazareth, not some 25 miles from from the Galilee, it was clearly Jesus, and it's going to shine on them. And as a result of that light going forth from this Galilean, whoever this figure is, some 700 years prior to Jesus' birth, it's going to multiply the nation. In other words, other people are going to, well, there are going to be other moths coming to this light from all over the world, all the nations and all the peoples. And They're going to increase their gladness, and they're going to be glad in God's presence as with the gladness of harvest as when they rejoice with the divide of the spoil. This is going to be a good time. Isaiah is looking into the future. He's seeing something unbelievable, a light shining out of the Galilee region. Of course, that was Jesus. A few more details in verse 6 and 7. A child will be born to us. A son will be given The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. No increase to his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So we've got, again, it's a child who's going to be born to us and they're going to call him God and they're going to, well, he's going to be on the throne of David. So he's got to be in the Davidic line and he's going to establish and uphold justice and righteousness from then and forevermore. So this is going to be a forever kingdom not just a momentary uh, ruler who's going to rise and somehow free Israel from whoever the momentary captors of theirs are in a long succession of captivity from Assyria and Babylon and Persians and the Romans and during the time of Jesus. It's going to be somebody different. It's going to be a forever kingdom, this light. So we're starting to get some details through the prophets about this light. Isaiah 42 I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, something very specifically referencing the Messiah. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a what? As a light to who? Just Israel? No, the nations, and I'm going to open blind eyes and bring out prisoners from dungeons, exactly what Jesus had said, quoting Isaiah chapter 61, when he began his ministry and proclaiming liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, in other words, light is about to shine forth in a profound and powerful way. Isaiah 49, same thing. Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, restore the preserved ones of Israel? 
I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation might reach the end of the earth. And he goes on to call this a redeemer of Israel and holy one, the despised one, the one abhorred by the nations, servant of rulers. Kings will see, princes will bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Lord of Israel, who has chosen you. Again, a messianic prophecy clearly of whoever this would be some 700 years into the distant future, well before the Romans ever came to power even before the Babylonians had come to power and destroyed the temple. The light's going to be shining forth. And then, of course, Jesus clearly said, John chapter 8, he said, and Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not work in darkness but have the light of life. I, I, I I don't know how this doesn't grab you. Jesus is making a profound claim. I'm the light, and are you tired of walking in darkness, we're going to look at, in a moment, we're going to look at exactly what that light entails. Some things that many of you even here or watching online or wherever may realize that you just, you, you can't even conceive of what it's like to walk in total darkness. You at least have some of the light in Christ in your life. You may not be very advanced in your own faith, but you walk in certain ways you're not even cognizant enough anymore. And we you, you see a neighbor or someone who's struggling or someone who just acts in ways you can't fathom and and you got to realize they're running into things in a spiritual sense they cannot see how can we criticize a world that cannot see we must quit criticizing constantly the world around us the politics that embrace us and hold us and be the light we must quit complaining as followers of Jesus because we have the antidote we have the cure Quit complaining and recognize we're surrounded by people who walk, who walk in darkness. How about Paul? He said this very interestingly. He now applies what we just read in Isaiah 42 to himself. Now, this is an interesting turn of events because so far it's God's light. Well, we know that. We know that Jesus was prophesied to be light. Jesus even said he was the light of the world. But now Paul takes an interesting turn. Acts 13, verse 44. He's here in Pisidian, Antioch. And listen to what he says. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews, that's not the whole, all the Jews, when some of the Jewish community saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy. These were mostly the religious Jewish leaders of his time. And they began to contradict the things spoken by Paul. And they were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord, now catch this, Because the Lord has commanded us this, and now he takes this messianic prophecy specifically about Jesus and says, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. He now takes, because why? Because Paul understood that Jesus had transferred. Of course, Jesus was the light. But he transferred the light of Christ into the hearts and the minds and the very fabric of the early Jewish leadership who believed into Jesus, had seen a resurrected Jesus. Paul had seen Jesus raised on the road to Damascus. He wasn't wondering about this anymore. He had the very light itself, and it was a great light that approached him on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded by it. He knew exactly where the light was coming from. Of course he did. But then he says, but we were called to be the light to the nations. 
There was a there was an old I don't forget what it was even called, but there was something about these pods and they these aliens came down and when these eggs and there was some, some old, older people in a community I forget what the movie was called, but what was it called? Yeah, cocoon. And and then and then all of a sudden these cocoons would break open and these light would just go and people would you know oh my gosh we can barely even look at these you know alien nature. That's a little bit what it's like with Jesus. Jesus just had to unzip a little bit and well it happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know they just began to be glorified in this light. You know particles and waves and everything. And they were freaking out at the light in which they were beholding, and yet he had to zip it back up, and he was a man for a while, but he was the light. But now Paul's saying we're the light. Verse 48, How what should be our response? Well, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, heard this, and they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life, they believed so how about the whole world? Well, Matthew 5, clearly, on uh, the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, you, followers of him, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, you're the light now. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, similar to what we're reading here in Luke 8, but on a lampstand so that everybody in the house can see. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Look, when we extend ourselves to the poor or whatever it is, I, was, I had to go to Orange County this week and I was asked to speak at the Orange County Rescue Mission. It was a, what a wonderful operation, not, not, not too different than our Coachella Valley Rescue Mission. And, and of course, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Seattle and there was a Seattle Rescue Mission. Some of our Church of the Red Door people have been on that board and lead in those ways. And then went down to Salem, Oregon, and our beloved Bob Thompson, head of our ambassador program, had also chaired that. And they had just built a $23 million, just all this unbelievable things there, allowing their light to shine. It's Christ's light in them, and people are going, wow, those Christians are doing something about it. It's awesome. It's awesome to watch and to see. So do you want to shine? Well, you better be careful how you listen. I was reading some of the reviews of this uh, yoga guru that I alluded to a minute ago, some of the reviews of one of his books, and it made a very interesting comment in the review section of one of his books, and it said, if you have an open heart to what the Swami is saying, then your life can be changed forever. I mean, it really was a very... In, in, well, it's no different than what Jesus was saying. But the Swami died, and the Swami's not been resurrected. Jesus died and has been resurrected, as all the prophets had seen, as all the disciples who then gave their life, and many others who saw him have given their lives for through the centuries of a resurrected Jesus. I'm interested in a resurrected light source because that, to me, seems like real light. Real light, true light, resurrected light, if you will. And obviously in John 15, he just said, look, if you're not connected to me, you just don't, you're, you're capable of nothing. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So you, we are not the light. The light does not reside in me until I connect with the vine, the branch connects with the vine is Christ and his light begins to flow. His light begins to flow through me and then I begin to be bright in a culture that is dark. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you have heart, this morning to hear that you too can become the light, even if you feel like you're one 
gazillion miles away from the creator of the universe. You know what? You're right. You are. And yet, in a moment's time, you can be restored in Christ through his vicarious death on the cross for you. He took your punishment. It appears that Jesus was somehow linking this having light to some kind of interpersonal relationship with himself. Uh, Vine and branch are quite close together. What happens when the light begins to flood your body? What begins to happen? Well, this this is so, this is not exhaustive at all. But I will tell you, there's some of the things that happen is you you determine that there is actually an ultimate reality beyond a materialistic worldview. Now, you may say, well, okay, as a follower of Jesus, I know that. Can I tell you, people walking in darkness have this line of thinking, whether they really have this codified in their mind to be able to articulate it, but I live in a materialistic world. I am a cosmic accident. There's really no purpose or whatsoever. It's a bizarre coming together of a bunch of strange stardust and different things that we can't even explain and nobody has an understanding of first cause or anything and I'm here for a moment's time. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. Now that is living in darkness according to Jesus. Jesus is saying you're created, the word itself, so you're created in the very image of God. Genesis 1.26, again, let, let us create man in our own image, light-bearing image. That's a very different worldview. That's the difference between that path goes this way or this way. And the way many of you may be living today in the hearing of my voice, you have unintentionally or intentionally bought into a materialistic worldview that denies even the existence of God and you are walking in utter darkness. So that's pretty intense. I think, you know, I know some pretty good people who aren't, Jesus people, and they, I see some light in them. Well, of course, you're created in God's image. You're not, nobody's incapable of reflecting the glory of God in any way. We are created in that way, but in an ultimate way, you're walking in darkness as you deny the creator of the universe. You may not even realize this, but God gave us understanding. No, your father is knowable. How do we pray? Our father who are in heaven. That's a pretty intimate term. Not God, distant God way out there. Jesus enlightening every man. This light is coming in the world to enlighten every man, Jesus. Well, it's foundational to my understanding. God is knowable. He wants relationship. It's life-changing. You can't just go, oh, that's interesting. Huh. Anyway, back to the game. Jesus was more than a man. And if he was, did he give us an did he give us a a good representation, an accurate representation of true reality, did he or did he not? I, well, as the light, I say he did. And everything that came out of his mouth was glorious and reflective of exactly the truth about why we are on this planet. Is life after death possible? Jesus says, yes. You believe into me? Believe into me. You'll be raised. If Jesus is raised, you'll be raised. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. For God so loved the world that he sent me into the world that if you believe in me, you won't perish but have what? You'll get better from your cancer? No, not not always. Maybe, could be. But in an ultimate way, you'll live forever 
you will never die, not spiritually speaking. Is that a game changer? Would that change the way you view life on the planet? Not to have to fear death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Yeah, it hurts. Larry's hurting right now, having lost Sue. Laura's hurting, having lost Jeff. Barb's hurting, having lost Gary. And we go on down a long list of people that you know, maybe somebody even that I'm not even commenting on that you lost this week very precious to you. Where's the sting? Oh, it stings, but it's a momentary sting. It's not an ultimate sting. Is there purpose to your life? Is there an unseen realm with nefarious forces that give an explanation to evil in the world and some of the struggles we undergo in our, in our inside, on our insides? Jesus would say, yes. <laughs> he knew what was in man. And there was a lot of, well, stuff holding people back from reflecting the very image of God. God open for reconciliation? Jesus, Jesus says yes, and I'm going to be that path to reconciliation. But I'm going to have to take the punishment, do you. The stroke, do you. As the prophets, by the way, obviously had seen. Is his word absolute? Yes. From beginning, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22. It's perfect. Jesus Jesus told us that over and over, all the prophets. He referred all the time back to the prophets. So becoming a light and closing involves a number of things. It means being born again. Jesus' words, not mine. A man must be born again. A woman must be born again. It's a do-over. It's a start-over. It's, can a man, Nicodemus said, enter his mother's womb again? He says, you don't understand these things, Nicodemus. It is a complete new beginning. We take all of our old presuppositions about reality, ultimate reality, and we shelve them. I meet so many Christians, and part of this is the discipleship process, one of the reasons we exist, but I meet so many people, and they just have part and parcel of an enlightened view, of a Jesus-enlightened view of the earth. They just don't. They don't have a picture of the full picture, and that's the task of the church, to bring everybody into the light of Jesus' teaching uh, of the full narrative, the meta-narrative of Scripture so we can understand who we are and why we're here. Being born again is the beginning of that process. Being discipled, as I alluded to. By the way, being discipled is very much about being around other light bearers. That can be via online, that can be, but it, boy, is it good when you can get together over a cup of coffee and sit with somebody you know, like Ron and Val or somebody who walking with Jesus a long time, I just see them down here and, and ask questions and being able to articulate some of your concerns and, and growing leaders and having people be able to spend time with you and you just start feeling like I'm walking in more light now. I'm very intentional about the people I hang out with. I've told you that many times. And you know, the world knows that. The Oracle of Omaha, Mr. Buffett, listen to what he said this last week. Uh, the wisdom from the oracle. You ready? Just a few things. He said, it's better to hang out with people better than you. That's why I like hanging out with pretty much all of you. And Jesus, I love hanging out with people better than me. Uh, pick out associates whose behavior is better than yours, and you'll drift in that direction. Can I just tell you, the world knows this. There are three types of people to surround yourself. Now, this is secular wisdom, but it very much backs the biblical the biblical uh, imploring of us to hang around people who are light bearers. 
People that have character, people operating with character and integrity, they can be trusted. You never have to worry about their actions or whether they're hiding anything from anyone. A person with character brings more truth and truth-tellers to, to your business, as an example, which makes it attractive to those seeking honest brands. A culture of character differentiates itself from the rest and is the core and essence of any great company. Thank you, Oracle of Omaha. You've repeated essentially everything that the Word tells us. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. What, well, what partnership has light and darkness? You're a light bearer. Hang around light bearers if you want to reflect more light. People who live by their values, he says. Successful people have an unwavering commitment to living their values and measures their success by them. This is especially the case when life throws a curveball and things get a little dicey. Through thick and thin, they stick with their values because it defines who they are and what their core business and mission are about in order to best serve others. Do you hang around light bearers? Light bearers hold, cling to the reality of ultimate truth in Christ. And then lastly, people that are legitimately loved by others. I want want you to get this. As depicted in uh, Buffett's biography, The Snowball, Warren Buffett in the business of life. Buffett once was asked about the great, his greatest success and his greatest failure, to which he responded, when you get to be my age, you'll really measure your success in life by how many of the people you want to have love you actually do love you. And he added, I know people who have a lot of money, but the truth is that nobody, well, nobody in the world really loves them. And that's the ultimate test of how you have lived your life. Now, Jesus wouldn't say the ultimate test because sometimes you can be hated. And Jesus said you're going to be hated by by a lot of people on account of me. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But there are going to be people because you are a light bearer that are going to love the light they see in you. I've been a recipient of that. There's just really, I I can think of very few reasons anybody would really like me very much at all other than I'm able to reflect the light of Christ. I have been radically transformed. I have been born again. I have been discipled, continue to be discipled, and I refract the light of a loving and compassionate God in a selfish and self-directed, narrow little mind that is Jeff Cranford, but I have the light of me, of Jesus living in me. I do, and I'm, not, I'm unapologetic about that. It is his light that has transformed my life. And lastly, just be cleaned up. You must have what Jesus called the clear eye. You have to see reality as it truly is. It takes light to see reality, spiritually and physically. Hopefully, this is shining forth so brightly this morning, the word of the living God. Be filled with the Spirit. I just want to say, and lastly, you know, it's our responsibility to spread the word. That's what Church of the Red Door is about. I've told you a thousand times, I'll continue to tell you, we're, we are not a church that meets primarily to serve the religious interests of religious people. Our primary, pa- we do that. Of course we do that. We serve you. We serve our pastoral staff and others serve you. We want to. But our primary task is to read out, reach out into a hurting culture to many in the Coachella Valley that walk in darkness and intuitively, deep down, they know it. They're hurting right now. They may reject even what's been said this morning, but deep down there's an intuitive sense that there's something radically wrong in their soul. 
and I don't care what comes our way, we will stand up and say, Jesus is the source of all light. He has come into the world to enlighten every man, woman, and child that will have an ear to hear or an eye, clear eye, to be able to see. Folks, we have the cure. We have the answers to life's meaning and purpose. Can you imagine if somewhere to find, if to know that there was an answer to cancer, just a vaccine that could eliminate cancer from a body? Not too dissimilar with 95% efficacy like this vaccine has seemed to prove to do with Moderna and all these others. Unbelievable, presenting, uh, preventing people from dying of this. And, and yet this was available for every kind of cancer. And I had it and I had it back in my uh, in my house, and it was in my closet, and I had it up on a shelf uh, way back in the distant back. And I knew without, beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was the cure for every cancer that will ail the world. And if I would just turn it over to some respectable pharmaceutical companies, they could re reproduce this, and it would go around the world and save tens of millions of lives in, in a year and hundreds of millions, billions of lives over the coming years. And I chose to put it underneath and in the back of my closet. You say, well, that's absurd. Folks, it is less absurd than us taking as light bearers this and hiding it away. It is light that enlightens every man. As a church, as an individual, I am unapologetic about Jesus being the light. We will stand in a culture that marginalizes us and maybe even hates us. And we'll be stereotyped as insurrectionists and weirdos and every other thing. And sometimes they have some pretty good points. Jesus, save me from your followers, as the bumper sticker says. Sometimes we get weird. But I will tell you, and I'm talking about the church globally, some strange positions and strange ideas out there. But in the end, if it focuses on Christ being the light, we cannot hide it away. We must put it up so people can see. Will we be that kind of people? Will we be that kind of people? I pray that we are. So what do we do with this? <clears throat> be the light. You know, people will be drawn to podiatrists all over the place. I've watched it with links for many years. I, I tell men and women, I said, if you'll just get two or three of you in your community and meet around a cup of coffee and open the Bible and let people see you, let the light shine that they might see your Father in heaven and glorify him. People will mock you and they'll say things, but in the end, they, they'll find they have cancer or they'll, they'll lose a child or they'll, or they'll lose their money or something and guess who gets the call? It happens over and over and over and over. If you will set yourself up in a community as the light, people, moths will begin to fly in. Well, the light was on, you know? Be Motel 6. We'll leave the light on. Please choose not to privatize your faith. Do it with whatever gifting you've been given. And when we come together collectively and we'll start having folks stream back in, our snowbirds will be streaming back in here before long, and, and that light will grow because more, more light bearers will join us in our mission to see people move out of darkness and into the light. Jesus, we thank you for being the light. We are not the light, but with you in us, we become the light, period. You, we believe, Jesus, as a believing community, that everything you said 
stem from the fact not that you were just an intelligent man who walked the earth for 33 and a half years, but that you were the creator of all things. Yes, in the line of David, a man. And yes, in the very presence of God, as he said, let us create man in our own image. It is your image in which we have been created. It is the fall that separated us from the light and led us out of the garden and into darkness. And it is the cross that leads us back into your precious light. Lord, let us take seriously as a community the word. Let us be discipled. Let us not look to get in and out and just hear a little homily. It doesn't mean anything. Lord, we want to we be learned people, learned followers. Help us be a biblically literate community. We trust that you're the light. We extend our lives in that belief. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Have a great week. Do not tell me if you have looked on your phones who's leading the Ryder Cup because I will get home and see for myself on my taped version. We love you, folks. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.